Today's topic is parents of sexually abused children. Often we forget that sexual abuse is not only a trauma for the victim, but also a trauma for the victim families and loved ones. Today our guest is Debbie, Catherine's mom, and she will be sharing her story and insights on what it was like having her daughter be a victim of sexual abuse. We are here to share our stories, experience, and give a platform for others to talk about the no-nos. We are not medical or healthcare professionals. Anything heard here is just based from our human experience, and should you have any medical or mental health challenges, we encourage you to seek professional support. Our content isn't suitable for children, and please be aware it may be triggering. Thank you, Mother, for being brave enough to be on our podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. You're welcome. (laughs) Just get the nervous laughter out now. Okay. All right. So I'm just going to kind of jump in for the, in the first question. Uh, so when I was six years old in the middle of you and my dad's divorce, I told you for the first time that he was abusing me. Walk us through just what you were feeling in that, in that moment of being told the first time. In that moment, um, initially it was shock, um, confusion not quite sure what it was Mm. you were telling me um panic not knowing what to do in that instant um I remember feeling like inside I was screaming my head inside my head Mm. was screaming I couldn't hear anything but knowing I had to keep an outward appearance of being calm for you because I wanted you to know that um, it was good that you told me. I was glad you told me mm-hmm. that it was not anything that was your fault. And I didn't want you to have the impression that it was a bad thing that you had told me. Um, so I just talked to you for a little while, just trying to reassure you that it was something bad that had happened to you, but that you had no part in it that it wasn't your fault at all, and that I was going to find help for us. And just letting you know how glad I was that you had told me. And at the same time, asking you a couple general questions if other things felt uncomfortable, just Mm -hmm. to try to get a feel for was there something else than the original thing you told me. Wow. Yeah. I can't even imagine having my daughter share something like that. And I just feel like other parents that have had this happen um, have probably felt the same. You know, I just am thankful that you are on here to be able to just share your perspective on it Mm -hmm. um, from your side of it. Often we hear from the victim side of it. And I just feel I've just felt a soft spot since I started speaking out and kind of being more of an advocate on this topic that the parents of sexually abused children just don't have a lot of support. Mm-hmm. And you don't often know like how hard it is for them as well. And so I just mm-hmm. thank you for for being open and honest. And I know that it's hard to say that to your daughter right now. It's very hard. Right. It's um, I've spent 34 years working really hard to protect you from my feelings Mm. on this and what effects it was having on me because I wanted you to be able to heal. And I 
and I knew you couldn't have the additional burden of what it was doing to me. Yeah. And I appreciate that. And that definitely gave me a place to be able to heal in a safe space that wasn't scary. Um, yeah, I one of my biggest things about my healing process is that I the first time I told it was received well. So I thank you for that. And thank you mm -hmm. for sharing that. So after that initial shock of just realizing what you had just been told, what was the next kind of steps that you took after that? The first thing I did um, was called your dad and ask him, told him what you had told me and ask him if it was true and what mm -hmm. he would have to say about it. Um, and what did he what did he say? He denied that it was abusive, but he said I was just loving her. And mm -hmm. he t repeated that probably three or four times as I continued to talk to him and mm -hmm. express my opinions on it. Right. And he kept saying, no, I'm just loving her. That's all it is. Mm. So um, when I hung up from him, um, I was blessed. God had put a dear friend in my life prior to that, that I was able to call. And she did counseling in this area. And so I spoke with her and um, just got advice from her on what to do from there. Mm -hmm. um, once I talked to her, I then called CPS that evening. And I did end up speaking with the police that evening, too, after I had contacted uh, CPS. Mm -hmm. um, they did not get any more involved that night because you were not in the home with him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you guys were in the middle of a divorce yes. when this happened. And I was with you. And yes. you guys lived separate at this point. That's correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then the next day, um, I made got both of us into counseling and made an appointment with a doctor so that you could be examined. Um, and then after I had gone through all of those steps, then I contacted my attorney. Thank you for sharing those steps. I, I asked my mom to share those steps because that when um, a lot of people, when they are trying to find out more awareness and just what to do with mm -hmm. uh, sexual abuse, one of the biggest fears I feel like is they don't know the steps that they would take. Right. And I think sometimes they don't do anything because they're the fear mm -hmm. of not knowing what to do. And so thank you for sharing the steps that you took. And those were absolutely the, the correct and perfect, as perfect as you can in a situation like that, handle mm -hmm. those steps. So you contacted a lawyer and what happened when you went to court? Uh, when I went to court, um, they the judge ruled that there was not enough proof, that I didn't have proof because with your physical exam, there was no evidence mm -hmm, on right. your body. They could not uh, just take your word for it. That was not considered proof. Mm -hmm. um, I heard from several people, attorneys and um, people in the court system, that it wasn't bad enough, mm, Yeah, um, which made it even more hurtful. 
It's so hurtful. Um, Yeah, what's the degree of badness? Mm -hmm. I don't know. You're like, I'm living my worst nightmare. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? (laughs) (laughs) So you cut my hand off instead of half my arm, you know? It's traumatic either way. Yeah, right. Um, The other thing is, it was in the 80s, and at that time, uh, there was kind of a push for men's rights in divorce. And a lot of women were claiming abuse Mm. uh, to try to get custody in divorce hearings. And so as soon as um, they would hear that we were divorcing... Mm -hmm. It became something that it was, oh, okay, well, it's a divorce situation, so we're immediately going to question right. mm-hmm. anything that you say. Right. Um, so what ended up happening is that, by law, I had to continue to see my dad legally. Yes, unsupervised. I uh, had pressed for supervised visitation, mm-hmm. if you were going to continue visitation with him. Um and they said there was not enough to to warrant that. This was important for me to talk. For, I wanted you to talk about this part because I feel like this is often a huge misconception is that if someone's turned in, mm-hmm. you told on it that they go to jail and, you know, you get all this justice and mm-hmm. you're protected when really the reality is 90 percent of perpetrators don't go to jail. Right. So the majority of abusers are out Mm -hmm. even seeing judges even doing these things um and i think that's important for people to know i know that that's a question that i always get asked and sometimes can be used against me in like well if that really happened why wouldn't your dad be in jail when the reality is there's is most of them aren't in jail and legally you were put in a position and i was put in a position that you would go to jail if I didn't see my abuser. Right. And I could risk losing custody of you. Yeah. Um, by, not was, a, like, by not following the custody agreement from the judge. Correct. Yeah. Right. And that was something that ended up being very hurtful comments from a lot of people of, oh, well, if it was right. my daughter, I would have killed him. I would, I would do whatever I had to do that right. she would never have to see him again. And... Um, it's easy to say that until Mm -hmm. you're in that position where it is a reality that I could have her taken away from me. Right, right. And live with him permanently. Right. And so having to make that decision that I would still send you. Yeah. What what an awful position to be put in. Mm-hmm. Horrible. So how how did you cope with that then, with having to do that? Um, it it was very hard. Yeah. Um, and set up a couple things with her. Just you know, there were code words. If you mm-hmm. say this code word, then I know. You know, if you call me, mm-hmm. I can come right out. It was Ralph, guys. <laughs> it was Ralph, our pet hamster. <laughs> Yeah, you talk to me about Ralph. I'll be there. Yeah. Um, we also a lot of anger, but praying. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I dropped her off again, my dear friend 
would call her as soon as I dropped them off. She would listen to me cry. Mm -hmm. She would pray with me on the phone. I know that she would be praying all weekend for... Because they were overnight visitations? Yeah, we would... Every other weekend. um, And then during the holidays and stuff, I had to go... You know, if there was like a two-week vacation, we had to go for half of it. So in the summers and stuff, we would stay longer. And for like Christmas vacation, I'd be there a week. Yeah, it never altered any of the what would be normal visitation. Right, right. Yeah, I wow, I can't even imagine the way that you were feeling during that. It was very scary, and I felt very helpless. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Also felt like a terrible parent. Right. Um, I was sending my child off basically to war, Mm. is how it felt. Yeah. And kind of sacrificing you. Hmm. Yeah, I could see how you felt that way. But I, I want to say to other parents listening that in no way did I ever feel like you were a bad parent. Like for me, you, I saw that you did everything that you could do and that was huge for me. So I just want you to know and listeners to know that I understand that you would feel that way, but that really wasn't true. Like you really were my safe person and you did fight for me. And a huge reason I was able to heal from this and to have continual healing from that is because I had a parent who fought for me. And even though it didn't go in the way that we wished it would have went, it didn't matter because I was worth it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I think that, you know, we were talking about in the eighties that this was like an especially difficult thing because of, you know, just stuff going on in the justice system there. I don't think, unfortunately, that's changed that much. And I just know from other people that I've talked to that have been in similar situations where Mm -hmm. they have kids and they have a divorce situation and there's abuse and they're constantly fighting for their child to try to get them in a safe situation and going through that same thing. So I'm grateful that you're sharing this story as well, because I, I know people that can relate right now, even still to that of like, they're not being this justice and they're having that yeah. same feeling still of a, they're sending this chi- their child into this situation. They're like, what do I do? Like, yeah. where do I go with this? And the thing yeah. about the court is it's all, you have to prove evidence, right? right? The way that the court system works. Well, most victims of abuse, there isn't proof. Right. Hardly ever. Right. Right. And so that's a huge misconception that people often just think like, oh, they got turned in and all these bad people are in jail. And that's just isn't the truth. And then there's parents that did do all the right things mm-hmm. and that did go to bat for their kids. And then they get that. Well, if that was my kid, I would have killed him. It's like <laughs> you have no idea what it's like. Yeah. You don't even have a clue to go and do all of those things. And then have to be put in a position where you have to send your daughter to her abusers, right? So what, so kind of on that same line, what were some of the ways that you specifically felt supported? So if anyone else is listening that is looking for just like some hope, Right. I I went to counseling. Uh, there again, I there were very few people 
that I actually shared it with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, express why you didn't share it with very many people, because I think that's important. Uh, you felt very strongly that you didn't want people to know. Yeah. And I honored that. I wanted to honor that. And so I would only talk. You knew my friend. In fact, I had you talk to her also. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could only talk really to just a couple people. And um, so that was that was difficult because it felt isolated Mm -hmm. um, and not able to explain to people what was going on. Right. But my friend was a tremendous help being able to talk to her and um, just being affirmed in that. I was going through trauma too, mm-hmm. as well as you, yes. and occur- yeah. an encouragement to keep seeking healing for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, my counseling, I also um, belong to a couple um, grief groups or support groups at the church, and that was very helpful in uh, sharing with people right. that were going through the same type of situations. Mm-hmm. Um I was able to heal a lot through that, too, and at least know I'm not alone right? or I'm not here by myself. What did some of that healing look like for you? Um, A lot of it was learning to let God handle it, Mm. to realize that I was not obviously in control. Right. Of everything that happened to my children or my child. Um, Had I been in control, it wouldn't have happened. Right. And so um, learning to trust that God was still in it and that he had it. Mm. Um, Also being able to um, let go, forgive which is very difficult. Right. But um, for me to forgive and let go of the anger so that that didn't consume me. Right. So we spoke a little bit about like some hurtful responses, but I think that I kind of want to dive in a little bit deeper on that on just, I think that's one of the most helpful things for having people know how to support Things that aren't well known about is just almost hearing like, what were the things that hurt you? Mm -hmm. Because they're kind of a common thing that most people say and they maybe probably don't honestly know. They don't know what to say. They don't want to try to say something. And And so I do feel like it's helpful to say these were some really hurtful responses to just help better educate people on Mm -hmm. knowing how to respond. Probably... um, Something that is always the most painful is when people always want to know, was there penetration? I know, always. And I would say no, and they say, oh, good, it's not that bad then. I know. And that was extremely um, just painful and frustrating because it is still a huge trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And it also is something that I would never want to share. And I don't know your full story. Yeah. It's why I put you in counseling so that you could share with someone that you would have the total freedom 
to share whatever, and it wouldn't be like telling my mom mm-hmm. yeah. on my dad. Right. I didn't want that for you. And so there are a lot of parts of your story I don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, details. And I'm probably good with that. Yeah. I, yeah. I have enough pain without them. <laughs> well, I was going to say, do you think that that for you, as you began healing, not having some of those details to... You know, you do those crazy train thoughts of like you're all consumed and your brain is cycling, 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 Mm -hmm. not having some of those details that really wouldn't have done anything to benefit either one of you because you were already looking at this as, you know, what it was, that it was a trauma and it was abuse. Um, Do you feel like that was helpful for you having her being able to tell a counselor those things and you not having to carry those details to play over and over in your brain. Yes, very much so. The the one thing I will say that I feel like um, now, like the word sexual assault encompasses a huge Mm -hmm. amount of abuse. And I do feel like there is getting a better understanding of that. But for sure in the 80s, especially even in the 90s, it was like, well, if it wasn't rape, then it wasn't that big of a deal. And it really is exactly the same thing. You're sexually violated. It just could be from words. It could be Mm -hmm. something that inappropriately shown to you mm-hmm. it could be touching you it, it could be many things it all has this it's all wrong right all right. is a major effect all all is a horrendous trauma and so i like that they added in to sexual assault all of the different layers mm-hmm. of what it is including rape as well um so that because that question is such yeah. a hurtful question mm-hmm. and it's like you clearly haven't ever been abused <laughs> If that's even a question. Right. Right. But I I like that that's, I feel like there is getting a little bit better understanding. Giving a better definition. A better definition Mm -hmm. for sure. So kind of on the same lines, what specific challenges or fears did you struggle with? Um, there actually was a lot. I mean, I struggled with shame. Uh, the shame that, I failed as a parent, um, which I know we've already talked about this numerous times. But um, and just the shame that that was something in the family, right. uh, kind of doubled with not able to share with people. So it's something you keep secret, right. and kind of exacerbated that. Mm-hmm. Um, really struggled with feeling ill-equipped to help you. And to, um, I was always really scared that I was going to make a wrong move or do something wrong that would end up um, causing you more pain Mm. or more hurt. Um, You were scared of, you were telling me this when we were talking about this earlier, you were scared about the choices I was going to make. Talk a little bit about that. I was because then I started doing a lot of reading and research on... Um, children that are sexually abused and just seeing the statistics. Uh, I used to worry that uh, the choices that you were going to make later in life were all mm. going to be colored through that lens. Right. And um, I was really afraid for you. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe having to live a life that I would never have hoped or dreamed for you. Mm. Um I also was really worried and have always been uh, 
insecure about my relationship with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I quizzed you excessively mm-hmm. when you were younger <laughs> about feeling angry with me because I wanted you to know that it was okay for you to be angry at me mm-hmm. for not protecting you. But I think I overdid that. So I, I'm, I do remember do that. Do you think she overdid that, Catherine? I do remember that conversation a lot. And I never was angry with you. I was angry with my dad. And now I don't, I mean, that I, I can see how I'm sure other survivors could feel angry towards that. But I, I personally never struggled with feeling angry with that because because of the way that you handle it. I, I really, truly believe that because I felt very supported and mm. always strongly believed. And um, yeah, you cared enough to ask me that it was okay that I was angry with you. So how could I be angry at a person that cared enough to tell me it was okay to be angry with them? <laughs> That's just really how I felt about it. But, sure. but yeah, I remember that being like, Oh, here we go again. I'm so worried. We're not going to be <laughs> friends when you move out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so. what's our, f- well, mom. And, and, and so I'm 39 years old now. Yeah, I know. I can't get rid of you. What's our our relationship? How did it turn out? It's very good. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I was, I also struggled with anger on what it did to my life. I felt Mm, like my life had been taken hostage by this. Um, It affected me in many ways. Um, One, I did remarry. And... Um, having to tell my husband that my daughter's not going to be comfortable being alone with you in the house. So if you come home from work and I'm not there, but she's there alone, you can't come in the house. You're going to have to either wait outside or go find some place to go until I get home. And those kinds of things that you don't think about, right. but that it affects every part of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I was angry and resentful that I was having to deal with a lot of stuff that was really not my fault or not anything it's, I had done. It stole that freedom from you, just like it stole freedom yeah. from you as well Catherine. and we were kind of talking when we were discussing it earlier we're like man the abuser gets away scot-free like they you know they don't we know right. that like they're gonna have to answer for this but they don't they're not yeah like they don't it it runs they're not dealing with all of the layers of all ish. the ripples yes. of what that does yeah and every relationship you have that touches mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. absolutely I actually never knew that that you put that that you made that rule until you told me this with this <laughs> How podcast. How old were you when you ten. got remarried? Okay, yeah, I was ten. Well, and you actually had told me you would feel weird. I believe I did that. Yeah. Yes. I, no. I would. I think I would have. Yeah. I, no, you told no. me I would feel you didn't feel uncomfortable around him. But it would feel weird to you if you were in the house with him by yourself. Right. Yeah. And so I, we made the rule. And I think maybe eight months after we got married, um, 
you did come to me and say, I don't care if he's here with yeah, me by I, myself. Yeah, because I was just going to say that it ended up being like he ended up being really my real dad. Right. And he was safe for he you. He was super safe for me and really redeemed that horrible relationship with my real dad. Really he redeemed kind of redeem that, that fatherly role. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. But he respected. He totally respected Where it. you were when we got married and mm-hmm. honored that. It was not something that he complained about. It was just, well, of course, if that makes her. Oh, yeah. I always felt in. very supported mm-hmm. by him and loved for right. sure. Absolutely. I do remember being really thankful when you told me that. Uh, that it was OK. We were already in the middle Oh, yeah, that it was okay, that you felt really safe for him. But I also remember when you told me originally how thankful I was that I was already divorcing, Mm. that we were in the middle of the divorce. And so I didn't have to then leave my husband. I get what you're saying. Mm. Oh, you're saying you were thankful. So when I told you, you were really thankful that I told you when you were already in the middle of a divorce. Yes. Because... I remember you telling him this, you had fear that if you weren't, you would have divorced him and you wouldn't have wanted to put that pressure on me. Right. I didn't. I was glad that you didn't feel or would have to feel like it was your fault or that you could be blamed by other people for the reason behind it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many there's so many layers when it comes to this kind of stuff, especially when it's a parent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I feel like it just uh, I mean, it's horrendous for anyone to be abused. Um, I just think it comes with so many more complicated layers when it's a parent mm-hmm. or even just like a family member and just things like that. Like, oh, you're already abused. And then, yeah, divorce happens and having to be concerned, like, is my daughter going to be blamed for this divorce? And so, right. yeah, I do. I see none of those things. Obviously, I was younger and I couldn't even wasn't even thinking of those things. But you are also having to think of all these right. things that might affect me and Run, a, mm-hmm. hurt me more. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, that relates to what you were saying about feeling like your life was held hostage by it because you are, you're wanting to protect her and you've been protecting her and you're continuing that by like, okay, well, what will make her uncomfortable? And, you know, how is she going to feel about this? And having to think about all that extra stuff up top of like regular life of like raising children and having a family, that is a lot. Your brain Uh must have felt like it was on fire. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. Yep. (laughs) I don't have gray hair for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) So looking, looking back, did you see any warning signs? Um, I did, but uh, they were minimal really, as far as just a few. Um, I remember, uh, there was a commercial and, early 80s again uh i it was the very first time uh-huh. i had ever seen a preventing child abuse campaign mm. and so they were running commercials and there was a little boy uh on the the screen and he would always say it shouldn't hurt to be a kid and it had a little girl on the on the bed with it and an older gentleman just kind of tucking her dress around her knees and patting her on the knee. Mm-hmm. And you were riveted by that commercial. And how, like, how old was I? 
you were probably three and a half. Um, and I always thought it was so strange, no matter where you were in the house, you would come running and just stop and s- just stare at the TV and watch mm. that commercial. I totally remember that commercial. Do you really? Wow. A million percent. And my abuse actually started when I was three. And But I didn't tell my mom until I was six. Mm-hmm. But I vividly, like when you were describing that commercial, I can see that commercial in my mind. Wow. Yeah. And, and that's another thing I want people to know. They think when you're so, like, kids remember yeah. <laughs> yeah. at a young age mm-hmm. and know things are wrong, even if they don't have the words. Right. Um, and then what was the other signs? Uh, the other sign, and this didn't come until later, was that you did start wetting the bed. Mm-hmm. And I had assumed that that was part of just the divorce and mm-hmm. that trauma. So... I really didn't connect them until you told me. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you told me that that commercial and you going to that commercial that night was came to mind. Mm, yeah. Oh, my God. This <laughs> yeah. is why she was so riveted to that commercial. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the the thing about it is sometimes there's signs, sometimes there aren't, and then bed what bedwetting and things like that can be signs of many things. Yeah, development, yeah. you know, yeah. lack of sleep, and diet, we, exactly. Like, yeah. Um, I do remember I wet the bed a lot at, when I had to go to my dad's at mm-hmm. kind of an older age too. Mm. I do remember that. Um, all right. So for for any parent or of survivors that's listening. What encouragement or insight can you leave them with? I would, um, one, get help. Yeah. Uh, don't, don't be shy about it. Do get help. Mm-hmm. Uh, find someone that you can talk to, even mm-hmm. if it's only one person, at least have an outlet. And um, the other thing is just know that it isn't something that, that goes away you spend at every developmental stage you Mm -hmm. revisit Mm -hmm. it through this lens and Mm -hmm. you reprocess another layer of how that abuse has um injured you and so you feel like you are continually reprocessing Mm -hmm. and reprocessing and trying to resolve things um but know that it's totally worth it, mm-hmm. that um, we have a wonderful relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, we still, to this day, talk about different stages in your life yeah. where it comes up. Yeah. What What's the most recent one, do you think? I am with your daughter yeah. and your mm-hmm. fear of leaving her with babysitter. Mm-hmm. And that's real strong right now. <laughs> <laughs> but so mm-hmm. at every stage, you're going to have something come up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that it's worth it for the healing and for the freedom that you get when you, you are able to heal from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for me, I mean, I used to worry about decisions and choices that you would make. You made all perfect decisions. 
and choices. Yes, you did. (laughs) (laughs) I I can say how proud I am of you. And I see um, how you're being used and that you're a voice for people that don't have a voice. Thanks, Mom. Well, that's Mm. because I had a mom that did all the right things. (laughs) No, but honestly, Mom, thank you so much for for coming on. And I know it's hard to not only tell this to your daughter, but um, to just share about the way that you were felt that you felt during it, because Mm. you were never able to really share the way that you felt out of trying to protect me and help me heal. Mm. And so I'm personally happy that you get the chance to be able to share your voice now that I'm an adult and have some healing behind me. Um, it's good to hear. It's helpful for me to know how to support other parents that are dealing with this as well. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's a huge voice for parents listening. Um, that voice doesn't get to get heard very often. And I'm mm-hmm. thankful that you were willing to be vulnerable enough and brave enough to let me put you in the hot seat. Well, thank you. (laughs) And I want to say thank you as well, because I think that your story is important and it's maybe not a story you've been able to share that much over the years because of you protecting Catherine and that was the right thing to do. Um, But it is part of your story and it's part of um, who you are and what you've been through. And there's a lot of other people, unfortunately, going through that, too. So. Um, I'm grateful that you're able to stand up alongside them. And that's part of why we do this podcast to begin with, to tell them that they're not alone. And that's a huge deal. So you're very courageous. Oh, thank you. So resources for today's topic are MOSAC. Am I saying that right, Catherine? I don't know. know. It's mostly letters. So it's M-O-S-A-C dot net and rain with two ends dot org and we'll have these in the show notes as well as these resources and topic specific information will all be on our instagram as well i want to end this episode with a letter that i wrote my mom thank you mom for believing me immediately and for fighting for me even when it wasn't the outcome we wanted that helped me to know that i was valued and worth fighting for Thank you for putting me in counseling and always encouraging me to continue to seek healing as an adult that helped me to be hopeful, believe healing was possible, and that I wasn't a lost cause or damage beyond repair. Thank you for allowing me to heal on my own terms and timeline that helped me to be okay with not being okay and that I was loved unconditionally. Thank you for continuing to stand up and fight for me even when you were being attacked and lied about by my abuser. This taught me to stand up for what's right, even when it's hard and scary and people are against me. This made me brave. Thank you for honoring my boundaries. This helped me me to stick up for myself and my boundaries without shame. Thank you for being strong for me when when I'm sure all you wanted to do was fall apart. This made my healing possible. You are my hero and I love you so much. Thank you, Mom. And as always, you can connect with us on Instagram at talkingaboutthenonos, and you can email us at talkingaboutthenonos at gmail.com, and we encourage everyone to find their safe people to talk about the nonos with.